we're correcting a historical wrong. For the history of our city, the history of our nation, we have refused to see certain peoples, poor people, people living with disabilities, etc. I mean, they just haven't been taken into account when policies are being made, when programs are being designed. They're not part of that. We're using story to change that narrative and to make sure that those voices are included. And my hope is that as the program grows, people will recognize the value of story to policymaking and to the history of the city and county of Denver. Hello, I'm Denise Withers, and you're listening to Forward, an interview series where today's leaders reveal how they use stories to make change and shape the future. If you need a new way to move forward towards your goals, then stay tuned, because I have just the story for you. This past year has seen many cities struggle with multiple crises and divisive politics that have made it tough for them to look beyond putting out fires and focus on creating a more just and healthy future for all. But amid the chaos, the city of Denver has found a way to bring government, communities, businesses, and residents together to discover what's most important to them and unite to make it happen. What's their secret? A groundbreaking storytelling program called I Am Denver, led by their chief storyteller, Rowena Alegria. As an award-winning journalist, communications executive, and writer, Rowena brings decades of experience working across genres to this unique role. She also brings much-needed innovation, helping leaders discover how to use stories to do everything from shift policy to strengthen resilience. I know she has some amazing insights to share, and I really can't wait to hear what she has to say. So welcome, Rowena. Uh, Hello, Denise. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm really excited you're here. We've got so much to talk about today. You know, we've seen a lot of hype about storytelling recently, but I think it's still fair to say that most leaders only view stories as a tool of influence, a way to convince or persuade people to buy into their ideas. And based on our conversations, I know that you and your team see stories as being able to do so much more than that. So it'd be great if you could start us off by telling us what makes I Am Denver different than more traditional communication programs. Sure. We're different in so many ways, but I think primarily most traditional communications programs come from the city's perspective with an objective of passing on information. I Am Denver is different in that we're not PR, we're not news. Our goal is to bring the resident voice into the conversation. And so all the stories we do are from a resident perspective. And we don't use voiceovers, we don't use narrators. So it's not something that the city scripts. In fact, I have tremendously capable producers who interview folks and then manage to create a narrative based on what residents tell us and make a story out of it that is all their voice and not our voice. So that that's probably the, the biggest difference from a very basic perspective. And then there's lots more we can talk about. That's fantastic. And that really is not the way that most municipalities and most organizations, I think, do storytelling. So maybe we can back up a little bit. Why did Denver feel the need for this kind of program? What were they hoping to discover? Well, I mean, let me tell you how we got rolling, right? I was communications director for the mayor, well, for three plus years of the first term. And 
the constant conversation was around the changing media and how it was becoming harder and harder to get a positive story out there, one, and two, to reach particularly underrepresented populations, immigrants, people experiencing homelessness or living with disabilities. I mean, it was just so hard to ever reach them, even though those were the folks that we were trying so hard to serve. So when I, my my husband died in 2015 and I just couldn't work 24 hours a day anymore. So I moved over to the Agency for Human Rights and Community Partnerships with a charge from the mayor to experiment with some new strategies for reaching particularly underrepresented communities. And I tried various things to do that, including a, a really successful project that we called Denver Talks, where we invited residents of the city to read a book called Citizen, an American Lyric by Claudia Rankin. And it's about race and racial microaggressions. And it's just a beautiful, amazing brilliant book that I think really helps people understand what it is to deal with racial microaggressions. We invited the author to come. She and the mayor did a a few conversations, including one at Betcher Concert Hall for more than a thousand people talking about the difficult conversations around race. And and we wound up touching thousands of people across the city. And the, the mayor said, well, that was fabulous. And of course, what next? What are we going to do? And at, at that point in time, I, I was already in love with Humans of New York. Are, are you familiar with Humans Oh, of yeah. New York? Fantastic. Um, yeah. Right? I mean, it's just such a creative, wonderful project. So I already knew I wanted to do something like that. I was already calling it I Am Denver, but hadn't figured out exactly how to do it. And then I met Aaron Foley, who was chief storyteller for the city of Detroit at the time, he was presenting at a conference. And, you know, the minute he finished, I went running up to the stage and said, can I buy you a cup of coffee? We sat down and I picked his brain about what they were doing in Detroit. And essentially what he was doing was running a newsroom on behalf of the city. Detroit has had its challenges for sure, but like every place, there are good things and bad things. And They really wanted to talk about some of the good things that were happening, particularly from a neighborhood perspective, what cool things were going on in the city of Detroit. So they let Aaron hire a team and they essentially put out stories about the neighborhoods, good positive stories about the neighborhoods. I didn't want to do that exactly. I wanted to take that Denver Talks model where we were inviting residents to come in and have these difficult conversations. I wanted to take that, but do it in a way that it was recorded in video so that, you know, these amazing conversations we were part of could actually be shared. The Humans of New York model, I wanted to bring that style of storytelling where it was just the residents telling their stories in you know, you learn so much about the city, about people, about the human experience. Empathy is huge, but I wanted to do it again in video and in audio. But that was kind of how it started. We immediately went out and found partners. Folks who had worked with us with Denver Talks were very interested in I Am Denver. And so that was Lighthouse Writers Workshop, 
uh, a local university, Metropolitan State University, which I happen to be an alum from there. City organizations, including arts and venues, were part. Denver Public Library was a big part of the group. And we came together and began hosting what we call storytelling labs. So we invite residents to come in. We do a little bit of a workshop with them and then take them into a room and allow them to record their story. And then we share those stories on our website and on the city's social media channels, you know, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. And we also have literally set out to change the history of the city and county of Denver. I I grew up here. As a kid, I would have to write a paper about a historic figure from the city. And, you know, they were almost always white men. And there were very few white women, very few people of color. But Denver has a diverse history. And lots of really interesting communities have come and gone and influenced the city that this has become. So we've set out to try to fill in some of those gaps in our history by identifying those stories, interviewing those people and putting those stories out into community. That's amazing. I, I, you know, I have so many questions for you. I I think where I want to go first is let's just kind of finish the story. So what kind of impact have you had? What kind of reaction have you had from the story so far? It's been really positive. Of course, there were people who said, you know, you're doing this to promote the mayor or you're doing this to just tell positive stories about the city. And it's taken a little bit of time to show them that it's so much beyond any of that, what we're doing. And I'll tell you a couple stories to show what the impact has been. Early on, we had done a couple storytelling labs, but we had an opportunity to do an event to kick off an exhibit in one of the city buildings around redlining. We'd partnered on that project. And we'd done a storytelling lab about redlining where, you know, people of color were forced to live in only certain areas. They were redlined out of other areas. They could only get loans in these certain areas. And it really led to a lot of the problems that we are dealing with today, where there are schools that historically have not been funded in neighborhoods that haven't been funded. And I mean, just generations of of problems resulted from that. So we worked on this project and the mayor was going to come and speak. And I thought, well, we should test this and ask some of the folks who came to our lab to tell their stories if they would like to stand up at a microphone and, and tell the stories to an audience. I reached out to these folks and 10 people said they were interested in coming. Now, any communications person knows as soon as 10 people say they're going to come, you think, okay, if two or three people show up, that would be fabulous. Then I'm going to invite the mayor and I'll speak and we've got a great program, right? Perfect. The day of the event, guess how many people showed up? All 10. (laughs) All 10. All 10 showed up. And the people who couldn't make it, for whatever reason, I heard from them. They didn't just ignore my email because we had created a relationship. They knew me not as part of the city, but as a person who cared about them and had a relationship with them. So that was early on. And that showed me, wow, we're on to something, right? And then as time has gone on, our stories are shared primarily on social media. And the city has a goal of 3% engagement on the city platforms, say Facebook, 3%, right? Our I am Denver content almost always exceeds that 3% mark. And I have examples of stories where we've had 18 and 20% engagement 
meaning that nearly one in five people who saw our story commented on it, they shared it, they liked it, they interacted with us. And that, I mean, it's just unheard of for uh, government to reach into community that way and engage people in that way. Another example I can give is we did a story about the Amachi camp in southeastern Colorado, where Japanese and Japanese Americans were put into, they, they were held prisoner for up to five and six years during World War II, because the United States government decided that they were a threat. They lost everything. They lost their homes, their farms, their businesses, you know, showed up with a little tiny suitcase and didn't know when they'd be allowed to leave again. And that camp, because they they left there, they got $20. They had nothing. They couldn't go very far. They wound up in Denver and started what has become a very rich and engaged Japanese-American community here in Denver. So we told that story. We went and we found folks who'd been in the camps or had family members who'd been in the camp and allowed them to tell us what that experience had been like. When we finished the film, we partnered with the C Film Center here in Denver, went to their space, had a little reception, invited people to come. This is a funny story. We put out the invitation thinking, oh, we have 200 seats in this theater. It gives us a month to fill the seats. And we put that out and overnight it filled up. And we hadn't even saved seats for like the people who were in the film. <laughs> so we thought, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And we you know, had to make some arrangements and, and figure out how to accommodate people. But that was another way we showed how interested people were in this. But at that screening, one of the women who had participated with us, her daughter stood up afterward. We did a little talk back about the film. Her daughter stood up and she said, we have no family heirlooms except for an army blanket that my mom brought from the camp until this film. Hmm. And I almost started crying because that to me showed the impact that we can have, right? How we can address what, what people were in the streets marching about this past summer. This was before that, of course, but you know, they were saying that the city doesn't see us. There are these wrongs that have been going on for generations that the city's not making any effort to correct. And here we were saying, we hear you, we see you, and we're going to help tell this story so that it's not forgotten and it's it's not repeated. And also so that we can take this back into the city to the people who are making new policies, to the people who are trying to address some of these historical wrongs and let them know what it is that they're dealing with, let you have a voice in these policies. And I'll tell you one final story and then I'll, I'll stop with this part. One of the next projects, our big projects for 2021, we are working with the historic preservation arm of the community planning and development, Denver's community planning and development on the city's very first historic context. And what that is, is we're contracting with a historian who is going to help us identify the locations in the Denver area that have been important to the Chicano Latino community in the city. 
We're going to literally go and identify them and tell their stories from a historian's perspective. But then we're also going to go out into community and capture the oral histories around those places that have importance. We're creating a report. We're creating a film. At the end of the year, we'll again do a screening, do a talk back. And then that work becomes part of the city's archive and part of the process that a developer who wants to come and he wants to redevelop the Aslan Theater in Denver. He has to contend with the fact that this has importance in the community, that there's historic value in this. And he can't any longer just come in and, oh, I'm going to swipe that away. For the first time, the city will protect those. And they're protecting them by using story by bringing oral history into the conversation. And I am just over the moon excited about that because the Chicano Latino community is the first one we're going to do. We're going to do African-American community, Jewish community, et cetera, et cetera, and really use story to protect our culture, to preserve our culture in Denver. And I just couldn't be more excited. I could tell. <laughs> and, it's, and, and it's amazing. And I have to say, I'm sitting here and I'm actually feeling a little jealous because it all sounds so <laughs> incredible. So I, I want to build on everything that you've just been saying, because you've answered this in part, but what's the long-term impact of making sure that everyone is seen and everyone is heard and these stories are told? Why does that matter to the mayor, why does that matter to the people of Denver? Why, do, why does that matter? Well, I think, I think it matters for a lot of reasons. I mean, one, we're correcting a historical wrong for, you know, the history of our city, the history of our nation. We have refused to see certain peoples, poor people, people living with disabilities, et cetera. I mean, they just haven't been taken into account when policies are being made, when programs are being designed, when grants are being handed out. They're, they're not connected and not part of that. We're using story to, to change that narrative and to make sure that that narrative is broader and those voices are included. That's part of the answer. Another part of the answer is moving forward, that story, that history if it's on the table, it's much harder to ignore it or deny it. And my hope is that as the program grows, and we're still very young, I started the pilot of this two years ago. So we're still a baby. Once we grow up, my hope is that people will recognize the value of story to to policymaking and to the city's history. But in addition to that, this engagement, right? That right now it's so hard to to make connections with media, to make connections with our residents, to help them understand what it is that we do and how we do it. I've been in, I kid you not, a hundred meetings about how do we engage community? How do we help them know what we're doing? My hope is that this is a tool that will help us do that, that will help us to open doors to our residents to let them know that we do care. We do understand. We do respect them. They are part of the city in, in hopes that when we hear them, that they'll be maybe more willing to hear us too. That this loop of communication that we talk about all the time, that it just doesn't exist and how do we create it? My hope is that this is 
one way to help create that loop of communication, to to open some doors to our community and let them know that their voices do matter and there are lots of ways that they can be heard and that there are lots of things we are doing to serve them that they just need to know about and then they can access. I love the idea of a loop. That's really powerful. Mm-hmm. So why stories? Why not what most other people do? Why not reports and data and PowerPoint decks? Mm-hmm. Well, we are story. I think as long as mankind has been around, we have valued story. We wanted to sit around a fire to talk about the funny thing that happened in the day or remember somebody who passed. I mean, stories are part of us. When I think now about what I miss most about going into the office and seeing my colleagues, it's hearing about their lives, hearing about their kids, interacting with them, having time together to get to know them and and share our stories, to share our lives. I I mean, let's be honest. If I have downtime, I spend it in story. I'm watching a movie. I'm reading a book. I'm listening to, you know, music that is often a story or a poem or it's the capturing of an experience. I'm much more engaged with all of that than if you give me a slide deck that has a bunch of data. I'll do that if you make me or it's part of my job. But in my free time, I don't want any part of that. I'm going to do something else. And most of that is around story. So I feel like by using story, we are using one of the most powerful tools to bring our community together in, in a way that you know, can I give you data and say that this story changed this person's mind or changed this person's life? Maybe once in a blue moon, but day in and day out, no, I can't. But if you hang out with me for a while and you see the impact that we have, if you watch the relationship develop from the beginning of an interview to the end of an interview to the launch of that story or the screening of that story and see the faces on the people who are watching our film and how they react to it, I can't quantify that for you, but I can tell you that the power is immeasurable. And I think we're only scratching the surface for what is possible when you take story and just allow people to exist with it and live with it and and make it part of the city's toolbox, the city's archive, just part of who we are, our DNA. The, The people exist in the city. They have a place in it as they are, as story. And part of the way we all exist together, you know, I agree with you 100%. I'd love to dive into just a little bit of some of the specifics about what you're doing. I did a lot of Aboriginal or First Nations storytelling years and years and years ago. And the challenge of telling other people's stories and the ethics of telling other people's stories, how do you deal with that to make sure that you're being as responsible and as authentic as you can? Well, I mean, a big part of it is we don't have a script. We don't have a narrator. We don't have a voiceover. So it's not us interpreting anybody's story. We work in community, with community. I mean, I'm in the Agency for Human Rights and Community Partnerships. All the offices that that deal with specific communities are in that office. The Office of Financial Empowerment is in there helping people with financial coaching. Office of Immigrant Refugee Affairs is there. The Office of People Living with Disabilities, the Office on Aging. So the folks we are always trying to reach and struggling to reach, they're part of the community where I work. So we go to them 
and ask for their help in reaching into their communities to tell those communities' stories. In the storytelling labs, for example, it's it's a community of people who come and tell their story. And we don't try to determine, well, this is right or that is right. We just allow people to speak their truth and then leave it to residents to decide, well, I buy that or I buy that or or whatever it is. Like it's it's not ours to say that that this is the truth or that is the truth. I and mean, we don't we don't we don't even venture in there. We just allow people to speak and then residents get to decide for themselves, not necessarily what's true or what's valuable, but just it's here and it's honored. And if you relate to it, fabulous. And if you don't, okay. But my hope is that we allow people the opportunity to walk in someone else's shoes. And just because someone is indigenous doesn't mean that they fit one stereotype or that you could say this or that about them. That's ridiculous. And I think because of the way we do it, we we don't get caught in that trap because we allow multiple people to tell their stories and every single one is different. You know, every single one has its own truth and we just, we just give them that. And then people are allowed to do with it what they will. It it almost sounds like what I would think of as the democratization of storytelling where (laughs) I think we both grew up in the day where if you wanted to get your story on TV, you had to pass the gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to get your story in the newspaper, you had to get past the gatekeepers. And the internet in many ways removed those gates, but there's still a lot of barriers to being able to tell your story. And it sounds like a lot of what you're doing is removing those barriers. Yeah, that's absolutely what we're trying to do. And we really make a concerted effort to reach the folks who get stuck behind that gate and and don't have the same access, who tend to be forgotten or their stories told in a more stereotypical way, or somebody is making a value judgment about it or interpreting it somehow. I mean, those are the folks we really try to reach and give them the opportunity to set the record straight in a way, you know, that they get to speak their own truth and Yeah. And that their story is worth telling. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that we do in the storytelling labs is you, you know, you have people who come in and they clearly were interested enough to show up, but then they'll tell you, well, I don't know that I really have a story, but then you start asking them some questions and helping them to find that story. And I I don't know that I've ever really had anybody who came in with that idea and then went through the storytelling lab I don't think they've ever walked out feeling like they didn't have a story. It's usually winds up, well, should I tell this one or this one or this one? And then they get in front of a camera and they do it. Can you tell me a bit more about what you do in the storytelling lab? Because one of the challenges with especially live storytelling sometimes is that if people haven't practiced their stories, they can tend to ramble or it can take a really long time for them to tell their story. So what do you do in the lab that helps them tell their story? Yeah, that's, those are exactly the types of things that we try to address in the storytelling lab. So the first thing we'll do is like a icebreaking, get to know us kind of exercise, just bringing people together in the room so that they feel more comfortable. So they don't feel like it's a room of strangers, that they feel like, oh, that we have something in common. We love to do an exercise that a poet brought in for us. And that's to describe Denver in the five senses. So as a group, we talk about, well, what does Denver smell like? 
Um, what does never look like? And people are just shouting out their ideas and they're laughing and just having a good time and getting to know each other and already starting to tell story. They'll start out with just, oh, it smells like this. Or before you know it, it's, oh, and when you drive by this and you have everybody in there going, oh, yeah, I remember this. And, and you start finding those little nuggets of story. And then we help them to refine that right? We'll do some exercises where, okay, we'll talk about something that happened around this. We'll give them prompts and help them work through, well, okay, I like this and this and this, or these are kind of my options as a story. And then help them to really narrow it down, to write some notes and then go in and record. And our, our producers are really good about trying to keep them on track and asking questions, okay, maybe they forgot to do this, or they got excited and left off the ending, whatever, we help them kind of find that. And then we do really a nothing edit, we don't add B roll or anything like that. But we'll find the nugget of the story and put that together into a video and then share it. So for everybody out there who's listening, thinking, I absolutely want this to come to our city. (laughs) I know the question they're all thinking, which is how do you possibly get the city to fund this? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it took me the three years of working in the mayor's office to create a relationship with him that certainly helped get this off the ground because it was a relationship I created with the mayor and he had confidence in my abilities and my work. But also I I had created relationships across the city and I literally found the people who wanted to save the world in the way that I do who saw the value in story, who saw the value in these stories that weren't being told, who wanted to help me amplify those stories. And I really created a partnership and I got all these folks on board so that in working together, we could all contribute a little bit. And the lift wasn't as large as it might've been if it were just us working alone. I only have a tiny team. I have four folks, including myself, who do all this work. But like for the storytelling labs, we we have partnerships with the Denver Center for the Performing Arts, like I said, with Lighthouse Writers Workshop and MSU. And those folks help us to put on the lab. We work with community partners to help us host the lab. So we will go to them or frequently they come to us and say, oh, I heard about this. How do we do it? We go to them and say, okay, will you provide the space, which is frequently they have a group that they work with that meets regularly. We use that space. So it's already familiar to these folks. They may already know each other. They're already a little bit of a community. We ask those partners to provide coffee and cookies and notebooks and pens or whatever. I mean, minimal expenses, but they cover those. Then they bring their folks. Deal is we'll do all of this for you. We'll bring cameras in the workshop and everything. But we also get to bring community members. So yes, this is for, you know, this particular nonprofit, but we get to invite community who wants to come too. And it's usually a handful of those folks and mostly whoever the nonprofit is, it's their folks for the most of it. But it's a way of partnering that helps take some of the burden off of us and helps, you know, them get fabulous stories of their community, but a lot less than if they had to go you know, pay somebody and write a script and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's interesting because in many ways, what you're describing is, you know, the startup journey, the founder story, the founder's journey. And what I hear is different than a lot of other founder stories is that you have a very different leadership style. (laughs) Yeah, I've been in this place a few times in my life trying to get something, a new initiative off the ground. And 
the first couple times I did it, I really thought it's me and I have to do this and I'm going to force my way into these meetings. I'm going to meet these people who can help me. But it was a lonely journey and it felt like I can't do this all by myself. So this time around, I understood that I I could be much more successful if I wasn't trying to do it all by myself. If I was trying to bring on people who have a similar vision of the world, who have resources at their disposal that may be different than the ones that I have, but can absolutely contribute in a way that helps all of us better further our initiatives to meet our goals. And so that's what I do is I go out and I find folks. And I I mean, I'm a total salesperson, but it's easy to sell because it's something that I believe in with my heart and soul. And once people experience it, once they have the opportunity to attend a lab or tell their story or witness, you know, somebody they care about telling their story, it's an easy sell. People love it. Yeah. Everybody loves a good story. Mm -hmm. So looking Mm -hmm. forward for you, what's your dream project? Oh, gosh. I mean, that's so hard to answer because every project we do is kind of my dream project. You know, we started out with this baby of an idea. And every day, we're trying something new, and we're testing something new. And COVID has forced us to completely rethink the storytelling labs. We haven't been able to do in-person storytelling labs. So we're exploring technology and other ways that we can continue to do that. We did a, a project I'm really excited about called the COVID Diaries, where we asked residents of Denver, back when we were in the stay-at-home order in the spring, to do video journals for us. Every week we would send them questions and they would record on their phone what they were experiencing. And we created, you know, some individual stories, some compilation stories. We're kind of in round two of that right now. And a couple of the latest ones we did was we told a survivor story, a woman who was in ICU on a ventilator for two weeks. She survived, was on oxygen for a while. She and her daughter sent us video and photos from when she was in the hospital and all of that was happening when she came home. And we put together this really beautiful video of of her and her story, largely remotely, largely relying on her and her network cell phone capabilities to to put the story together. And it's just, it's adapting and, and finding new ways. And For next year, one of the really cool things we're working on is it's Year of La Chicana, where we interviewed some really amazing Chicana women in Denver who have incredible stories to tell. And we're telling them as a means of honoring a movement that was big here, but has tended to focus on the men and we're focusing on the women and telling their story. So I don't know. I mean, talk to me next week and I'll have something new that I'm excited about. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Well... It definitely sounds like Denver's got the right person in the job because you're bringing so much passion and expertise and insight to this. I'm really excited to see where you take it. I'm definitely going to be watching to to learn more about what you're doing. And and I know my listeners are going to be grateful to learn from your expertise and and how you've been able to move this forward. So thank you so much for making the time today. Yeah, thank you, Denise. I I really do appreciate taking the time. And if, you know, your folks want to visit us and see what we're doing, it's imdenver.org. And if they get on Twitter and do, you know, hashtag I am Denver, they should be able to find our stories. Perfect. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Forward, 
a podcast about how leaders use stories to shape the future. If you'd like to know more about how story design can help you develop and sell your big idea, get in touch at deniswithers.com.